0: Welcome to the podcast. Today, man, it was a big show today. Uh, we had Ted Cruz on the program, uh, host of, uh, at least co-host of the number one podcast in America, which is Verdict with Ted Cruz. You may also know him as a senator. Uh, he was on today to talk about everything going on, uh, and Michael Knowles as well. That So Michael Knowles comes on later. He's the co-host of that same podcast, uh, and he's, he's great. He's on Daily Wire, and he's got all these stuff on not only... Uh, impeachment and Iowa, but also we talked a lot about uh, Rush Limbaugh and his announcement and what he's meant to uh, radio and all of our lives as far as formulating an ideology, really, to that base level. Um, Nigel Farage is on uh, over here. You may have seen his great speech when it came to Brexit just the other day. He's going to State of the Union tonight. He's in our studios during this podcast. And Steve Dace is in Iowa uh, talking about Everything going on there, he knows, the, you know, internal workings of Iowa politics better than anybody, and he is—he uh, just gave us all sorts of great background on what's going on in this embarrassing disaster of the Iowa caucus for the Democrats. It's all coming up uh, today's podcast.
1: You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Senator Ted Cruz, how are you, Senator?
2: Glenn, I'm doing fantastic. How so, are you doing?
1: I, I was watching. Uh, I was watching last night, and I remembered being at the caucus for you in yeah. Iowa. Yeah. And what a bizarre system that is! Last night, uh, I think the Democrats showed us that oh, they're on top of the uh, securing the election results.
2: <laughs> Holy cow! I, it, it is an absolute mess. It is it is chaos. And you know, I got to say I really feel for for all of the thousands of volunteers. You know, you've got candidates who've spent a year or more crisscrossing yeah. the state and and as you know, you've got volunteers. We had people come from Texas, from all over the country in 2016 basically move to Iowa, stay in dormitories, and go out in, in blizzards, knocking on doors, making phone calls. They poured their hearts into it. And and it's not too much to have at the end of the night an election result. <laughs> no, and, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a nice benefit. I, I cannot imagine the frustration, the anger they're feeling. So, Ted, what is your – I mean, the,
1: let me give you some of the uh, the headlines – uh, Republicans gloat over Iowa caucus meltdown. You're actually this is from CBS News. You're you're mentioned there. Are you gloating? A little bit. <laughs> I don't think there's anything. I don't. Uh, well, think okay, any... so
2: it's interesting they say that. I've said a total of one thing today on that, which is I sent a tweet as I was driving in this morning, mm-hmm. and my tweet pointed out that that Dems today can't even stand at a gymnasium and count who's standing under which sign. Right these are the people they want to put in charge of our health care and right. everything else in our I lives know. no thank no, you no thank like you like these guys it, it ain't that complicated right. you know student council okay everyone for joey everyone for Susie, raise your hand we're done <laughs> and, <laughs> and these guys can't right. do that but don't worry we'll keep you alive right. we'll keep your mom alive right. we'll decide everything in your yeah, life no
1: we're we're smarter than you
2: that uh, the age of the socialists put these geniuses in right. charge of everything that matters to you.
1: So um, the other Washington Post said conservatives spread false claims on Twitter about electoral fraud as Iowans prepare to caucus.
2: You know, at this point, I, we don't have any evidence of fraud. And yeah. I had an old boss of mine who used to say, never explain anything with malice that could be explained with incompetence. Yes. I think these guys just screwed up. It's actually one of the reasons you and I are both really skeptical of big government. Right. Because it screws everything up. So let's have it do what it needs to do. But other than that, leave everything to the people. And, And it's... Uh, you know I'm sure there were a bunch of smart people who had a great plan and they had an app I think it's called shadow so yeah, na- 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 shadow
1: if that doesn't
2: give you confidence S- so now apparently these are the Peter Pan Democrats because they can't find their shadow <laughs> all right okay so let me <laughs> so let me go into just because I, I, I think it's incompetence I don't think there's anything going on. But if, on I, the other hand, it may be the secretive um, Joe Biden Illuminati yeah. uh, working to snuff out the, the Bernie revolution. Right. It, that, that's entirely yeah. possible, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, if, and if I, I, were... I had blue hair and dreadlocks and, and things pierced all over my face, <laughs> right. I would believe that. I would believe
1: that, too. Um, especially after the, um, uh, the paper, the leading paper, they always come out in Iowa, Des Moines Register, and they come out and they say – uh, you know, right the day before. Here's the here's here are the poll numbers. Well, we now know that uh, the poll numbers uh, that were spiked uh, were this, and this has now been confirmed: Bernie Sanders twenty two, Elizabeth Warren eighteen, Pete Buttigieg at sixteen, Joe Biden at thirteen. Wow! So you put that together. With what happened last time, where they really were, you know, torching, doing everything they could, it seemed, uh, to take down Bernie Sanders, you're a Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. fan. You're even a Elizabeth Warren fan. This does
2: nothing to help you believe in the party. Well, look, there's no doubt that that the Democratic Party machinery is terrified of Bernie, and they're terrified of Warren. Um and the problem is the base of their party is enthralled with crazy leftist ideas. Mm-hmm. The base of their party is angry. They've got pitchforks. They've got torches in the street. And so we saw four years ago the Democratic Party did everything they could to stop Bernie then. And, and part of it is, look, Democrats are statists. They're authoritarians, they believe in centralized power. so they have things like superdelegates. the Republican side, we right. don't have superdelegates, right. The Democrats have like had a big chunk of their vote to decide who their presidential nominee is are lifelong career politicians right. who are called superdelegates who get to decide and they, and they did that after Reagan won.
1: They mm-hmm. saw that Ray, the Reagan revolution changed the the republican party and they said we don't want that to happen to
2: us inevitably statists and authoritarians don't trust the people so right. the rhetoric is always the people right we care about the people so put me in charge of the people that's their right, message right right you know someone that actually believes in the people said all right how about let's leave the people in charge of themselves and get government you know, Jefferson referred to the Constitution as chains to bind the mischief of government. The modern Democratic Party, they, d- they don't believe there's any mischief to be bound. Right. And it all comes down to they have incredible faith in their own ability. They're smarter than you are. They know better than you do. And, and it's a combination of elitism and condescension and willingness to employ brute force. If you don't disagree with them... They will use the coercive power of the state to make you agree with them. Right. So
1: let's switch gears here. First of all, um, any indication on when they're going to have a. So no, no clue. They keep saying. Last night they were like, no, we're just verifying. We're just verifying.
2: It didn't take you this long to verify. This is worse than than Florida. I, I I have no idea. So so you know I will say as you know I've sort of entered your world a little bit in the last yeah, couple yeah, of weeks because we we've, too. we've launched a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Verdict with Ted Cruz. It went yeah. from zero, non-existent. Yeah. Number one. To it skyrocketed to number one. Number yeah. one in the country. Yeah. Um. We were we were, we were going to film a podcast last night. We were sitting there to film a podcast. Michael Knowles, who I think is coming in shortly afterwards. So Michael and I were there in the studio, and the whole plan is when the Iowa results come in, we'll go on and talk about it. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there, and waiting, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting there. I think we sat there three hours, and we finally said, well, I don't think we're getting results. Now, the nice thing about a podcast, you don't have a hard time. It's not like I go on at 9, and it's like, all right, if we don't have Iowa results, I'll tell you what, let's wait and do it tomorrow. Let's actually know... What the results are. I went to yeah. bed figuring I'd know when I woke up.
1: Me too. I, who the heck knows? Yeah. All right. Um, let, let's switch to um, impeachment. First of all, were you mocking that? Please say yes. Were you mocking Nancy Pelosi's hand clap, uh, you know, there on the Senate floor? Of course. Okay, good. I just, sorry.
2: I, although I did have folks who were wondering if I was paying up on, on losing a bet for the Nationals-Astros because the Nationals did the whole baby shark thing. <laughs> right. so, okay. so it could have been that. Could have been that. Could have been that. Uh, yeah, so right. what happened? I was talking to, to Mitch McConnell, and we are talking to a couple of other senators who were there. And we are talking about State of the Union. Uh, and it wasn't clear when the vote in impeachment was going to be. And and if it ended up being after State of the Union, which, is, yeah. which it is, it's going to be tomorrow. Um, there was some discussion about the possibility that Trump might cancel the event. Cancel the State of the Union. Say, I'll, I'll wait until after you vote on that. And that right. was being discussed a little bit. And we were saying, well, what if Pelosi won't invite him back? What if she says, okay, you canceled it. You don't get a State of the Union. So we were talking about, well, we'll just invite him to the Senate. We can do the State of the Union in right, the Senate. Right. And then I was looking around because the Senate floor is pretty small. Yeah. And so I said, well, where would we put the House members? I guess we could put them up in the gallery and Mitch said yeah we could stick Nancy back behind the TV cameras that'd drive her crazy <laughs> and, and and that's the point where I said now, now Mitch you got to give her some respect you know she did invent a yeah. little clap and, and so we, we were laughing at that right. but that that was the context of the conversation
1: yeah. um, so this is the worst political strategy on her part I've ever seen um, the Democrats does does this? taint Trump at all, free Trump from this? Are they going to continue to do this, you know, in his second term? What what do you,
2: what what are the results of the, what what is the meaning of all of this? So look, I agree with you. It was a a serious blunder. Um, I think Pelosi knows that. She didn't want to go down the road of impeachment. Less than a year ago, both Pelosi and Jerry Nadler both said you can't have a partisan impeachment. It tears the country apart. It divides us. I think they didn't want to do this. Uh The reality they're facing is their base is angry. The hard left base, they're motivated by rage. Hatred of Donald Trump is their all-consuming vision and passion. Right, right. And I think the Democrats had no choice. Pelosi felt she was basically a hostage of her angry base. So they went down this road. i, I got to say where we are politically, I think the chances of Donald Trump being reelected have risen dramatically. Oh, I think so, too. And, 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 it, and it's very much the same as, as uh, look, when, when Republicans impeached Bill Clinton. Uh-huh. That was a mistake. Republicans uh-huh. overreached. And that, that got Bill Clinton reelected. Uh-huh. It was an enormous political benefit to Bill Clinton to, for, for the Republicans to overreach and try to impeach him. The American people said, enough already. Focus on what matters to us. Focus yeah. on jobs. Focus on 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 our future, our family. Right. I think that contrast is playing out beautifully. And and so so my advice to the president for tonight, for State of the Union, is the same thing: is be positive and optimistic and lay a out the future. People, and and just don't even talk about the impeachment. Just right. look forward. Here's what we've accomplished, and here's where we're going. I don't know if if
1: the president first year, Donald Trump, could have done that. But he's changed. He has become disciplined. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of worry from Republicans that I've heard that are saying, dear God, please don't say anything. But I think he's so close to
2: the finish line, and he knows the gravity of this. I I, I hope so. I've given him that that advice directly. I know a lot of people have. You know, I will say last week during impeachment, it was interesting. I was at the White House twice last week with the president. Uh, the first time was for the announcement of his effort to, to achieve peace in the Middle East. And mm-hmm. it was an announcement with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Great. It was a fabulous event. Great. The next day I was back there because he was signing the USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement. Mm-hmm. And the contrast of those two were really striking, where he's working on substance, he's working on policies that make a difference in the economy, make a difference in jobs, for farmers, for ranchers, for manufacturers. He's working on issues that matter, like mm-hmm. world peace. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats, they're, they're, they're just a mob wanting to attack the president. I think that contrast, frankly, Bill Clinton drew that same contrast. Yep. He did the exactly same. Right. He focused on. Exactly right. Uh, you remember moveon.org? Yep. Rose up during that. And the whole message of moveon.org was move, move on, on. like like. I know. And. Ironically, MoveOn.org is actively supporting impeachment now and is raising money for it. And it's kind of like, uh, did you do guys remember the name? Do you remember like where you read came from? Read the name of yeah. your group. Maybe start a
1: different group. Like, if you're going <laughs> right. to do that, stayhere.com. Stay right here. Dwellonthis.com. We're with Ted Cruz, uh, and uh, we are in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, you told me last time you were on, you said— uh, I think we're going to – I think we want I'm, – I'm, I think I'm going to vote for
2: witnesses. What
1: changed your mind?
2: Um, so what I have been saying from the beginning is that if we go down the road of witnesses, that we needed to respect the principle of reciprocity. In other words, we couldn't do what the House did, have a right, one-sided right, right. show trial where only prosecution witnesses are allowed and you block every defense witness, right. wh- which is what the House Democrats Correct. did. And so what I early on was was urging my colleagues to do is if we go down the road to witnesses and I initially just kind of kept my mind open on whether we would mm-hmm. have them or not. But I said if we go down the road, we need to do it even handedly. We need to be fair. We need to respect due mm-hmm. process. That means if the prosecution gets a witness, the defense gets a witness. That Correct. means if they get John Bolton, then the president gets to call Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. Um I think that principle was right. I think it was valuable, but I think it also ended up playing a big part in the final decision not to go down the road of additional witnesses, and and that that ended up being an important vote. I spent a lot of time within the conference trying to get us to 51 votes to say enough is enough. The American people are tired of this. There were 18 witnesses who testified the House proceeding. Mm -hmm. We heard hour after hour of witness testimony of documents. The most important documents in the entire impeachment proceeding, which is the transcript of the call that's at issue here, the president declassified and released. And mm-hmm. so we had a ton of evidence before us, and on all the evidence, the president hadn't committed an impeachable crime. He hadn't met the, – the House managers didn't meet the constitutional standard right. of high crimes or misdemeanors. And so I, at the end of the day, agreed that we didn't need additional witnesses because they hadn't proven their case but I think laying out reciprocity, making clear that this this will, will go both ways, i got to tell you, one of the consequences of that, I think there were a whole bunch of Democrats who were terrified mm-hmm. of going down the road of witnesses. They mm-hmm. all voted for it, but I think that it was one of those instances in the Senate where they voted yes and were hoping the answer was no. Correct. Because if we'd gone down the road of witnesses, if we'd been hearing testimony from Hunter Biden and Joe Biden— I think it would have been very. Democrats are terrified of the evidence of corruption. And Glenn, let, let, let me commend you. You were one of the very first to dig in to the substance of Barisma and the evidence of corruption mm-hmm. and lay it out. Everyone else caught up to you, but you, but as as is often the case, you, you you were ahead of the pack by by a good Thanks. chunk. I will
1: tell you that I have a special coming up on Thursday that. Um, I will share with you off the air uh, the evidence that we have. It's um, it's beyond uh, it's beyond anything that we found. We found links through, um, you know, money laundering. Mm-hmm. We found the money laundering leaks. And uh, there was something else going on that Congress needs to be aware of. Uh, and I'll share that okay, with you. Good. I look we get forward off to it. Um, will there be a... Investigation on on how this thing happened. Uh, the, I mean, the whistleblower
2: shift. Any of that? Will anybody pay? So I, I hope so. A couple of nights ago, I, I, I had on my podcast "Verdict" with Ted Cruz, uh, Lindsey Graham. And so invited him to. And actually, Lindsay and I had a lot of fun on the podcast. It was, mm-hmm. it was very funny though. We, we film in a, in a basement studio here in D.C. And Lindsay was cracking jokes going, all right, if no one sees me again, I'm in an underground basement <laughs> in Washington. And, and look, it's pretty low budget. So we got these giant microphones. We had shag carpet. Mm. And he's like looking around going, wait, if you guys are number one. Who the heck is number two? Some <laughs> guy in a van by the park? Like, what's wrong with you? Anyway, I say all of that to say in an answer to your question. Lindsey said on the show that he wanted to see investigations into Hunter Biden and right. into Burisma. And he wanted to see it on foreign relations. Jim Risch chairs foreign relations. Lindsey chairs judiciary. It's got to be one good. of the yeah, committee yeah, chairmen that goes down the road. Yeah. I'm on both committees. So so my answer to that is yes. Good. We should investigate because the law should apply Fairly to everyone, regardless of party, and people are frustrated. How come people could commit corruption during the prior administration and get off scot free? That's not right. There needs to be accountability.
1: Thank you so much. Senator Ted Cruz will be watching you tonight at the State of the Union and listening to your new podcast. You can get it wherever uh, podcasts are found. Number one now on Apple Podcasts.
3: The best of the Glenn Beck program.
1: Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. We have Steve Dace, who is now in Iowa, uh, and he is there to tell us what the hell is going on. Steve, Iowa is making the counting process in florida look absolutely professional
3: (laughs) what's what's going on glenn is this is central planning it it's it's only fitting that bernie sanders likely won the caucuses because you're you're watching his worldview um play out in real time I, i mean this is the dmv this is this is an election brought to you by iran is the lost city of gold Net neutrality and tax cuts will kill us. Rape hoaxes, collusion hoaxes. Michael Evanetti for president. I mean, that's what you're watching. And the same people that want to ruin everything else in the culture are ruining the Iowa caucuses in real time as we speak. So this
1: is something that they said that they had, they were working on. They said, we've got all kinds of backup. There's not going to be a problem. Uh, (laughs) This app works wonderfully. Um, First of all, do you believe that any of the crazy conspiracies that are going around, mainly, I think, from Bernie people, uh, because if I were a Bernie person and they treated him like they did last time and now he's winning – And you're taking that away. You lost the poll. Uh, That that just mysteriously was not fit to print the day before. And he was number one in that poll. Do you believe any of the conspiracies? Or is it just flat-out incompetence?
3: uh, I believe the Des Moines Register polling conspiracy, but I think that had more to do with Pete Buttigieg than Bernie Sanders. And with with the caucuses, I think... You know, pardon me, Glenn, they they, they had an Obamacare website ready to go to. And and I just think this is what (laughs) central planning does. This is what it does. And what happened four years ago is they actively screwed Bernie over. And so in order to alleviate that, they came up with a three-tiered bureaucracy, and then they attached an app to it. And so this is a typical leftist solution. When people don't like an existing bureaucracy, create even more that they'll hate all the more. And that's exactly what's going on here. And, and I think that's the part people need to understand. For 50 years, we had these caucuses. And we had one issue with Rick Santorum eight years ago when one rural county didn't count properly in a razor-thin election. And it went from plus 8 to plus 12 on the certification process. That was the only issue we had in 50 years. They have turned this thing in uh, to a cluster of epic proportions because this is what Medicare for all looks like. This is what your Uh education, this is like a John Stossel documentary on the public education system. This is waiting for Superman playing out with a caucus. This is everything leftists do. Every solution that they have is what is going on here in Iowa.
1: Now they say that this, this new, um, Uh, This new app, which I happen to have. In fact, Sarah, if I could open up this app. They say it's, you know, very, very, very high tech. And uh, I'm just opening it up. Just a sec. Uh... (laughs) Hang on. It's just... Just have to... All right. Now I'm... Now I'm fully connected. uh, And so I can see what's going on. I mean... What are they doing? And, and why, if they said they had three different things, one, very high tech, and they blamed it on slow internet speeds. Uh-huh. Um, so they have that. But they said, we have the paperwork. We have photos of all the paperwork. So we had a three-fold system. You obviously didn't because it doesn't take that long to look at photographs or to count numbers on a page so no are you right. going to be able to trust are you going to be able to trust these numbers at all because they're clearly not telling you the truth of how bad it
3: is i think it's obvious that they're not that part they're not telling you the truth and last time i heard that sound is is when i met my wife cuz we met on an AOL chat room 25 oh my years gosh. ago okay and so wow. uh, it, it's it, the whole thing is ridiculous. And I think what you're learning is that the counting process doesn't have full confidence and accountability that they didn't do these counts uh, properly. Because here's the is the, the with the with the herding process. When, when your candidate's not viable and you've got to move from one candidate to another and all of that politicking is going on right there in real time, I'm sure a lot of your listeners Saw this on cable news last night at caucus sites where, you know, Andrew Yang's not viable or at a lot of caucus sites. Joe Biden wasn't viable last night. And so where are his supporters going to go? And so trying to figure that out through the process of three counts, it's pretty obvious they're not sure about their own count, because if they were, we'd have had these results by now.
1: Now, we have California saying that they have a new app, too. And they're going to be voting uh, for the first time on an app. Uh, you think that's going to change
3: between now and the California primary? I, I You know, it, it's funny how we, we think that, um, and, and this is kind of the progressive mindset, isn't it, Glenn, that anything old is bad, anything old. Yes. And, hey, you know, we, yes. we don't keep doing things because that's the way we've always done them, right? That's the, that's the worst excuse to continue. But maybe the reason why your great-grandmother passed her chocolate chip cookie recipe down to your grandmother and her, your grandmother passed it down to your mom and she's passing it down to you now is because it's the best damn chocolate chip cookie recipe anybody's found. That's why it survived this long. Right. And, and, and right. I don't not everything's got to be retconned and refinished. And modernized and contemporized, you know, it, it's just as simple as count heads, write the number down, and turn it in. How hard is that?
1: How do the people in Iowa feel today? Those people who worked their butts off, who, who canvassed neighborhoods, who have, you know, dragged people out to make sure that they were at caucus, their vote really almost doesn't matter now. Because Iowa is the first. It sets the tone for the rest. And if I were a voter, I would be so angry that my vote, I've been disenfranchised. Even if they count it later, it doesn't, that's not what I went for. We went to set the table and to start this thing. And now my voice hasn't been heard.
3: I think you've got two choices in how to react to this. One is um, you don't want to admit the entire fallacy of your statist worldview, and so you'll you'll go to conspiracy um, because it, 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 you don't want to admit that central planning on this level, bureaucracy on this level, simply can't be trusted and doesn't work, that the same – fallibilities in human nature that that beguiles all of us doesn't go away when we put on a government uniform or we belong to a central structure. We bring those same uh, imperfections into the process with us. And so you have a choice. You can either admit that you have been a victim of your own worldview— that what you want to do to healthcare, what you already did to education and energy, the reason why you wrecked those industries is because you don't need smarter people. Your worldview is bad. You can now admit this to yourself now that you're a first-person victim of this, or because you don't want to admit this to yourself, you just say the pe- these particular people implementing it are bad, and you go down the road of a conspiracy. I think that's the choice Iowa Democrats have today.
0: Steve, would you say it's fair, just judging by the way these candidates are reacting uh, to the potential results that are on the way, uh, that Buttigieg seemingly did pretty well and Biden did not do well?
3: I think if you, you, you know, Bernie Sanders uh, this morning put out what his canvassers had internally on about 40% uh, or almost half of the precincts. And it lines up a lot with what the, the, the leaked results of the Des Moines Register poll that were never. Uh, officially uh-huh. unveiled, have to say. And it goes with the uh-huh. trend lines too that I tweeted out in the middle of the night last night, just following a lot of Democrats across the state reporting from their caucus sites on Twitter, <clears throat> pardon me, that it looked pretty close between Sanders, Buttigieg, and Warren, and it looked like Klobuchar could topple Biden for fourth place. So I, I think what wow. you see out of this process is Joe Biden is a mortally wounded candidate. And you're already you're already seeing polls in South Carolina close. This whole thing about the black vote is largely overblown because I think what people don't understand, because a lot of Republicans get their view of the Democratic Party from the media and Twitter. And the reality is uh, black folks aren't watching CNN and MSNBC. They don't watch that stuff. Rich, white, affluent people do. And so they're they're going to pay attention to the race once it gets to them. And you're going to see the candidates that have the momentum are going to close the gap, similar to how... South Carolina was going to be Hillary Clinton's black firewall in, in 2008. And that's the place where Barack Obama essentially won the nomination after winning Iowa. So I, I think that you you're, you're seeing Joe Biden is a mortally wounded candidate in this
4: race.
1: So um, Sanders, I mean, it was either Sanders or Buttigieg um, that won last night, I think, just by based on everything that we do know Um Sanders has been, and Buttigieg, I mean, Buttigieg hasn't been robbed as much as Sanders has um, (laughs) because Sanders could have used the momentum. Buttigieg even coming in second um, really helps him a great deal. Uh, Sanders not getting that push um, and seeing a a, a dominant win hurts him. Do you agree?
3: I kind of disagree. I think this fits into his whole M.O system can't be trusted. That's why we need radical solutions. We need revolution. Even the people that you have voted for all these years against those rascally Republicans, they'll try to screw you too. I think it plays right into his M.O. I I think Buttigieg is the candidate that got screwed more than anybody else. I think that's why you saw him out there and declare victory last night openly, trying to capture some kind of momentum, because he lost a chance to kind of be the shiny object and the new hotness. And I think what the, what the National Democratic Party is, got, is, is wrestling with right now is if, if it, it, it's really a Bloomberg-Bernie Sanders choice for them, which is do they think Michael Bloomberg is somebody that can win enough of their base over to stop Bernie Sanders? And if not, then time to get your, your seat in before the music stops playing, uh, You know, which is the Soviet national anthem, but you've been playing it for years anyway.
1: Thank you very much from uh, Iowa, Uh, and uh, I can't imagine being a voter in Iowa today. Well, by the way, do you want to just touch base real quick, Steve, on the numbers of Donald Trump? Tremendous turnout for Donald Trump last night in Iowa.
3: Yeah, I think they said it was a record for an incumbent president ever, and I think that's another story, too, on the Democratic side, guys, is their record turnout never materialized. I mean, they had about 2016-level turnout, not... The two thousand eight record turnout that they thought they were going to get, and that's with a whole bunch of candidates that were all viable at the same time. That that does not bode well for them in a lot of these Rust Belt states going forward in the fall.
1: This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. First president I voted for was Ronald Reagan, and I couldn't vote for him. In 1980, I wasn't old enough. In 1984, I was proud to be, I think, uh, well, I think there were only four people that ended up voting for Mondale. Um, But I was proud to vote for Ronald Reagan. But I was still learning an awful lot. And back in those days, there there were no teachers of what I now know. There was... There, there was no um, balance to the news, even though we had the fairness doctrine. There was no balance. You, you know, balance then was like CNN and MSNBC. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I heard a guy who was sweeping the country. He was a guy that he was a guy that was just doing a local radio show. And there was another guy, his partner, that left ABC Radio. And in his contract, he had a bunch of satellite time. He had negotiated one of his contracts that, you know, for every year he gets so many hours of satellite time. Well, back then, satellites were wildly expensive. And that's what was required if you wanted to do a national show. And there weren't a lot of national shows, and there certainly wasn't anything like Rush Limbaugh. And Rush Limbaugh had gone into San Francisco and other places, and he had been turned down. But he was in Sacramento, and this guy happened to hear him and thought, this guy, that's a worthy use of my satellite time. This guy could change things. I remember first hearing him. With talent on loan from God. From behind the golden EIB microphone. i thinking, this guy is crazy. He doesn't care. He'd say anything. And I learned from him. He was a teacher. Not radio. He taught me how to find truth. He taught me to question things. He taught me why things are the way they are. And I think the most important thing he taught me and all of America was, you're not alone. It's not just you. There are millions of us. The message I want to send to Rush today is, Rush learned that lesson, and it's hard because of his life and what he does and how people treat people nowadays. He lives uh, behind golden gates much of the time, and those of us who do this, we lose It's a one-way street so many times. And we can forget, and we can feel like we're alone. Rush, there are millions of us who are praying for you today. I remember doing a show and having to go to ABC Radio back in the early 90s. And I was just starting to think about doing a talk radio show, and we had to fill in for a national show. I don't remember which one. And and Premier Radio Networks, is who syndicates Rush and now syndicates me, they said, we have a studio open in New York. And we went into the studio, and there it was, the golden microphone and the giant oil painting of Rush behind me. And they said, yeah, just do it from here. Rush hadn't been in it for probably a year. But it was awesome just to be in that room and a little humbling to be behind the microphone. Just a few weeks ago, I lost my good friend, Don Imus. Don was a childhood hero of mine. He was the and only people in radio who really study it, which are very few people now, who really know the history of it. He was a Jack Benny or a Bob Hope. He changed radio. He he made his mark and changed morning and comedy on radio. He's a early pioneer, really, of talk radio. He just wasn't talking about politics. He was a legend. But I think Rush Limbaugh is not only a legend, he's a pioneer. The difference is a pioneer knows they might get killed along the way knows that they might get stuck in the mountains, knows that this is risky. I'm alone, and I'm making this trek over this mountain because I believe there is something on the other side, but there's no real evidence that what you're looking for is actually there. That's Rush Limbaugh. Somebody, I was having dinner last night, and somebody at the table, we were talking about Rush, and somebody at the table said, well, God forbid if the worst happens, who will replace him? And I will tell you this, I thought of that, but in a different way when I heard this news, because what I thought was this changes radio, this changes. There is so much pressure on these radio stations to stop doing talk radio. And one of the reasons why they continue to do it is not because of Mark Levin or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity. It's simply because Rush Limbaugh is on that station. Without him, I don't know what happens to the rest of us on talk radio. And I sat there quietly at the table as people were banning around names... And I finally said, guys, there, there is no replacement for Rush Limbaugh. There is no replacement. And I don't mean this to be humble or I mean this because it's true. And maybe you can only understand this when you get to be my age, but I remember being at the kiddies' table. Then I remember being the newly married couple. And there were several couples ahead of us. There were the grandparents and the parents and the aunts and uncles. And as I get older, I realize there are more people down towards the kiddie table and fewer towards the exit, if you will. And you find yourself sitting there as the patriarch of the family at some point, and you're like, wait, wait, how did this happen? When did this happen? And when I heard the news... I went through in my head the people that are still around, the legends, the, the icons, the people who taught me, the people I watched, the people I admired, the people that made this industry. And Rush is the king of them all. Rush, I'm not only praying for you because you're a good guy and I'm grateful for what you've done for me personally, not, on, not for my career, but as a person in America that cared. Thank you for being with us. But I'm also praying for you because I don't know what happens to our voices if you go away. Because you're the king or the mayor of Reelsville, as you said yesterday, as mayor, with none of your, your bogus ego in it that you express on the air, but the real you should know if the the patriarch goes away none of us are qualified to sit in that chair this is the best of the Glenn Beck program Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. Nigel Farage, uh,
4: formerly with the EU. Welcome to the broadcaster. Good morning. Yes, I was made redundant Yes. at, at 11 o'clock yeah. last Friday <laughs> evening. Uh, I was the turkey that kept on voting for Christmas. Right, yeah. So I'm unemployed. Yeah, that's great. It's that's great. great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so your speech last week was absolutely tremendous uh it uh i have likened it to a shot heard around the world um all of our um governments it seems in the west have this flu this pandemic of not listening to the people the people will vote the people will speak they'll get in the politicians will say one thing but they'll do another you guys actually broke the back of two systems the corrupt system in England that was all the politicians that were just playing that game
4: and the EU, yes. I mean, firstly, you know, if you look at I can take broadcasting for argument's sake, the dominance of the BBC, our mm-hmm. state broadcaster, which we have to pay 150 pounds every year to have, uh, and they were they've always been wall to wall pro the globalist yeah, yeah, project, yeah. Um, and as you say literally a handful of exceptions in the whole of the House of Commons in Westminster they were all pro eu uh, it kind of makes the referendum result in 2016 almost a miracle mm-hmm. you know because those Cause we us- don't
1: we don't understand this here in america um you know we were talking about rush limbaugh yes. uh, now being very yes, ill heard, yeah. and you don't have that you don't have talk radio you you can't say the things that i can say so there's There's no rallying uh, cry except that individual
4: voice that happens to break through and somebody covers. Yeah, I mean, for me, what made it for me was my speeches in the EU Parliament 10 years ago. And sure, the BBC wouldn't cover anything I ever said or did, but YouTube came along. Yeah. So suddenly suddenly I was doing stuff and saying stuff and beginning to reach big audiences through YouTube. And, you know, once you've got several million views, then the BBC are kind of forced to give you a platform of some kind. So that, for me, was what made it. We would never, ever have achieved Brexit if it hadn't been for the growth of the Internet. Um, And we, you know, we won that referendum, but it's taken us three and a half years to get delivery on it because we've had former prime ministers, we've had businesses, politicians, literally saying that the result wasn't valid, that the Russians interfered, or we hypnotised right, everybody. Right, or. Right. But in the end, we got there, and i tell you what is significant. I was talking yesterday to Tony Abbott, the former Australian prime minister, and a big political thinker, and he says Brexit is the biggest geopolitical change since the fall of the Berlin Wall. Agreed. And I think we've dealt, an absolutely fatal hammer blow to the globalist project, and I, you know, I've always wanted my country to be outside the EU because I think we should be an independent, self-governing democracy. But uh, I'm not finished yet because I want to bring down the entire EU project.
1: So now here's the here's the issue. Um, we're seeing this with with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a hand grenade.
4: You're a hand grenade, mm.
1: um, and that hand grenade goes off, and it's not like. Nobody in the media in Great Britain, nobody in the EU, correct me if I'm wrong, is is going to take the time to go, you know what? I mean, England, they were such good partners. We lost them. What were we doing wrong? They're not doing that. They're no. they're
4: doubling down. In fact, yeah. Their conclusion and, and that debate that I was in last week that you talked about and, until they kicked me out. Yeah. Uh, but I've been kicked out of better places right. than that. It's fine. Right. Uh, but it was interesting in that debate. Speakers were saying, well, with Brexit, you know, what do we do to stop other countries leaving? And their conclusion is more centralisation. Their conclusion is more bureaucracy. They just don't get it. They're not listening to ordinary folk. And I tell you something, you know, we could go right now into outside Paris, into rural France. And we would have a conversation with French people very much along the lines that you and I Mm -hmm, are now. mm -hmm. And and, at at the end of the day, you know, people want to live in a nation state. They want to have a flag. They want to have an identity. They've got their own, you know, culture. and, And I'm all for, you know, Europe, where we cooperate with each other. We're friendly with each other. We're next door neighbors with each other. But the idea that we're going to abolish the great... Ancient states of Europe and hand all this power to these people in Brussels. It's never, ever going to work. And uh, the sooner it's the, the, sooner, the sooner it's ended, the better.
1: So, how do you get the elites? I mean, uh, you know, this is this is why there are revolutions and mm. why France had guillotines, mm-hmm. because they just don't get it. They think they're above you. Um, nothing's going to change their minds. The people are revolting. Yes, they are. Very aren't revolting. They? They're yes, very course, revolting. Repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. They're deplorable. Um, and so, how do you how how do you see this
4: continuing without real revolution? Well, it's very interesting that the British have been through a revolution, but 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 it's been a relatively peaceful, very peaceful revolution for nearly half a century. The Conservative Party were the key proponents and supporters of the European project. Despite the fact their voters weren't, Mm -hmm. but they were. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. I came along and challenged, you know, their assumptions. I I mean, the reason David Cameron offered us a referendum was I was eating into his vote in a very dramatic way. Uh, Then last year, then last year, over three years, no Brexit, a weak Prime Minister and Mrs. May, and we had to fight a European election. And I, I formed a brand new party, the Brexit Party. We won the election. The Conservative Party got less than ten percent of the vote in a national election. And they looked into the mirror and they said, Either we become Nigel Farage or we're finished. So what's happened is the Conservative Party are now saying all of the right things and that's that's the but shape of the are revolution. They? Well, this that's, is, a, that's, well, that's what well, we have. Well, They'll say well, a well, lot of stuff. Yeah, they're saying the right things, but actually, do you know what? I think there is a fundamental sea change has now occurred in British politics. I think they realise that if they try to betray the promises they've made again, they are electorally going to be finished. So, I think. I think we've got this to the right place now and, and and even even Tony Blair you know who is a ghastly globalist even Tony Blair said on Friday look we have to accept it and try and make the best yeah, of it Yeah
1: well Bill Clinton also said the era of big government is over Yeah, well, know, uh, yeah, 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 yeah
4: <laughs> I mean, I, they, maybe maybe I've been too trusting but but yeah. but hey look you know I'm I'm mean, I'm speaking to you in the sort of uh, still euphoria yeah, yeah, yeah of being in Parliament Square so why on Friday is, night.
1: for people who don't understand why is uh, why is the EU so evil why is it so bad
4: it's the globalist project all right the EU is the epicenter of the globalist project and there are many in America in the Democrats who, who of course I mean had Hillary won last time mm-hmm. she was all for tying America closely into the European mm-hmm. single market what it's about it's about literally the abolition of of nation-state democracies and its replacement with supranational government, government at at a higher level where the big decisions are made by people that you can't vote for and you can't remove. And guess who supports this? The giant multinational businesses. They love it because the more bureaucratic... The more rules and regulations, the harder it is for small and medium-sized competitors to come along. So it's kind of what the EU has done. It's destroyed capitalism. It's replaced it with this new form of corporatism where big business, big banks, big politics operate hand in glove to their own benefit and to the distress of virtually everybody else. And they've they've kind of – they've virtually purchased the political class across Europe. But I think now – Now that Brexit's happened, and sure, there are more debates to be had about the shape of trade deals and whatever, but I now think there's going to be a conversation happening in every european country. Yeah. you know, why did the british leave? and once once they understand the logic of that position, um, i think we can get back to the nation state, uh, you know, being the building block. So
1: do you see anybody on in the media or in politics that is starting to wake up anywhere?
4: Well, i think the italians. i mean, you know, the italians though, it, it i mean they're of course quite a volatile people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't get them together I, with I, the germans. I mean, i love them, but they're right. Right. but i think, you know, italy was taken into a currency called, the euro mm-hmm. 20 years ago it's basically the Deutschmark. mark mm-hmm. you know yeah. i mean this is a german currency right. it hasn't suited italy you've got a country there now where there's been zero growth for 20 years i mean whole parts of the north of italy which in the 1990s when i was in business i would visit and they were vibrant manufacturing cities it's gone it's dead and i think there comes a point where the Italians and they're beginning to have this conversation. There's a there's a guy called Matteo Salvini, you know, who's a very prominent politician in Italy. And I think there comes a point where the Italians say, you know what? This is this is hurting us. We can't go on with this." You've got countries like Poland and Hungary, <coughs> countries who only thirty years ago got out from the Soviet Union, yeah. got out from Moscow, telling right. them what they couldn't. And now what have they got? They've now got Brussels telling them what they can and can't do. Uh, you know, and 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 just think of it. I mean, how can Germany and Greece be in the same country together? They're culturally so far apart. And I, you know, I'm not anti-European. I love Europe. I love the diversity of Europe. You know, the, the mix of all the but different that's cultures. That's what they're
1: getting rid of. But is they're the trying. Diversity.
4: They're trying to homogenize us. Yes. They're trying to harmonize us. They're trying to pasteurize us. They're, you know, they're trying to create a new European people. And that's why they've got a flag. It's why they've got an anthem. It's why they want an army. And and, and there are many. There are many, particularly sort of Trotskyites, who see the European Union as being the, as being the prototype for one global government. That's what the Globalist Project's all about. And I, and I and I do believe that Brexit is the first real kickback against it. And it's the beginning of the end. All right, so I want to talk about that globally here with Nigel Farage.
3: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.